Hi. Hi, hi. It's good to see all of you. I brought props today. It's like show and tell. Literally, I'm not kidding. Props. Um, so we're finishing up Daniel. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it has whet your appetite for the Old Testament and how important it is. In the Old Testament, we see people's lives, the entire width and breadth of their lives, and we don't see that in the New Testament. And so it's very important that you see how God walks with a man or a woman through their entire life, good times and bad. So as we head into the last part of Daniel, a few things I just wanted to mention. Um, The greatest revelation of the Antichrist is in the book of Daniel. Revelation and Daniel are companion books. One has A and B, the other has C and D. So when you put them together, you've got a much clearer picture of what's going on. Both books were written by men in their 80s. Both books were written by men who were imprisoned while they were writing. Both books and both men were shown the heavenlies, the throne of God, because in the end, that's what we're to focus on. So in both books, Revelation and Daniel, you could read it and just become terrified. Or you could read it and say, like the songs, the worship songs today, our God reigns forever. As Nebuchadnezzar says, his kingdom is the everlasting kingdom. The kings and kingdoms of this world will pass away, but his kingdom will not. He is the one that's victorious in the end. And so he has prepared us with his word through these things. And this morning I may, some, I may say some things and you're going to go, what? I, I've heard contrary or I think contrary or I've been taught contrary to what she's saying. And I challenge you to go to the word of God and read it and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and show you. Because it's really at the end of the day you're standing before God. You're not standing with a pastor. You're not standing with your mom and dad. You're not standing with your best friend. It must be your faith. It must be your understanding of this word. And so I feel like when I get up here, I'm always saying, read the whole word, read the whole word, read it beginning to end, read it in context, because I feel like that is so important. There's a time coming where knowing this book will save your life in a big way. I was with a friend, we were, I'm on a bunny trail already, it's not good. Um, <clears throat> we were in Israel, Gary and I and another couple, and we were in Israel and we were going up to the Temple Mount to pray. And my girlfriend had her Bible in her bag. Well, if you've been to the Temple Mount, you know that's not allowed. You're not allowed to bring a Bible up to the Temple Mount, so it was confiscated. And under her breath, as they took it away from her, she said, not saying it to me, she was just kind of saying it to herself, she said, glad I have that memorized. And I just looked at her, and I thought, that's what she's been doing for the past 50 years. She's been memorizing this. So when it's taken away, no sweat, no sweat. And I marveled at that, but I thought, how important is that? Because I know people, watchers, and we've talked about watchers in Daniel, and they have already put Bibles in places so that they can find them when they're taken away. They've already prepared, and that's what much of Daniel is about, the preparation of a heart to go through things. 
that may be difficult, but at the end, God is victorious. And that's what you really have to focus on. God is victorious. Okay? Okay. So, really, Daniel, the book of Daniel, I feel the book of Daniel is not about Daniel. It's about God. It's about what God can do with a man or a woman whose heart is set and purposed. What can happen to their life. As we see, the fruit of Daniel chapter 1 is Daniel 2 through 12. All the experiences, all the revelation, all the promotion, all of that comes from a life that is purposed and steadfast. Not completely, I mean, because Daniel's a man, and we have to make sure that we don't idolize him or put him on a pedestal, because just because Scripture doesn't tell us there was sin in his life, we know that there was. And we see that when he has contact with angels. He draws back. He falls. Because when we see the glory of God come through an angel, our weak and our sinful bodies respond to that. And usually it's trembling, falling down, as we see in the scriptures. Okay? So I think that a key that God wants to ta- us to take away from Daniel is that Daniel was not offended. When Daniel was taken as a young man, 13 to 15 years of age, when Daniel was taken first wave, as, as prophesied by the uh, prophet Jeremiah, Daniel knew. Daniel had been listening to the scriptures. Daniel had been listening to the prophet, and he knew we are going to get it. We are going to be whooped, and we're going to be taken away for 70 years. Now, many people didn't listen to, Dan- to Jeremiah. They didn't like what he was saying because it was contrary to what they were feeling. They were feeling like everything was going well. Jeremiah was saying, watch out, watch out, it's coming, it's coming. Actually, he said, it's coming this year. Nobody listened. But we see that Daniel did listen. And so as he made that four-month journey from Israel to Babylon, which is now present-day Iraq, walking, he had a decision to make. He had a choice to make. And I think during that time, when I think of Daniel, I think he's remembering the patriarchs. He's remembering what happened to Moses, what happened to Abraham. He is remembering what happened to Joseph, a young man also taken captive in another land who stood and was a a magnificent display of a young man walking with God. And I think at that time, Daniel said, I am going to be like them. I am choosing to set my life and do the best that I can following my God. And I think he held his hand so tight and so close, so the praying three times a day was a lifeline to him. He had nothing else. But that's the point of the great tribulation. That's the point, that we would have nothing else, that our hearts would be set so that nothing else matters, our agendas what we can do, what we think we can do, our plans will all be taken away and it will be about him and what he does and how we walk and respond to him. So I'm going to tell you a little story because I think uh, the way God has has it set up, he wants us to be prepared because then we're pre, um, we're not reacting. We're going things, what's the word I have? My gosh. We're proactive instead of reactive. When we are, we have five kids. Gary and I have five kids. We had them in seven years. 
this group right over here knows. <laughs> we, we love the people that sit in front of us because they're like us, you know, we can, kids everywhere and it's wonderful. But, um, so with our, with our children, we had five children, seven years, four boys, one girl. So when you go somewhere, it's always like majority rules, unless it's a life or death and mom and dad have to step in, it's majority rules. So what we decided is that when they were seven, I would take them by themselves on a vacation. And then when they were 13, 14, Gary would take them by themselves. And they can choose where they want to go. And the whole vacation, it's what they want to do. So, of course, Gary got the better end because I went to Disney five times. And <laughs> over and over. But one of our, um, the, with our middle son, Sam, he was tall enough to go to Universal to the big rides, you know, the big guy rides. And there was this ride called Rock and Roll Roller Coaster. I brought the picture. And... Uh, so we were, we were thinking, this is going to be great, this is going to be great. But when we came up to the platform where the ride comes in and then the ride leaves, things changed a bit because the people coming out looked terrified. And the people going in were screaming once they went through the doors. The ride went from zero to 60 in two seconds into a door. And then all you hear is screaming. And I remember Sam looked up and he goes, I don't know about this. And I thought, it's okay, you know. We can, we can do whatever you want to do. So we ended up going on it. And um, so here's terror of a child going. <laughs> but um, after we went on the ride, it what turns out it's a roller coaster in the pitch black. So you don't know when you're going to go. You don't know where you're going, right? It is pitch black. You're, people are screaming the entire time because you're going up, but you don't know how high you are. And then you go down. You don't know when you're going to the left or to the right. But... That day, by the 15th time we were on that ride, which we did, we went on that ride all day long. We got off, went around, went back on again. Around and around and around we went. But our posture by the 15th time was very different because we knew what to expect. We knew when it was going to bend. We knew when we were going to go down. We knew everything. And so the ride became a very different experience than the first time we went on, and we had no idea what was taking place. And I feel like that's what Daniel is to us. God telling us what is going to happen. And it's really important because it sets your heart differently. If you know what's coming, you think very differently than when you're caught off guard, right? Okay. Daniel also chose not to be offended because he knew that's what it was God and it was God's doing. So he wasn't going to try to get out of it, right? God had set, this is what we're going to do. This is what is happening because of what has taken place. 70 years of captivity has been assigned to you, okay? So 70 years assigned to you means you're not getting out. So Daniel doesn't have to try to get out. Daniel needs to purpose himself, unlike everyone else that went. So of all the people that went, all the Jews that went into captivity, very few went back when the 70 years were over. Very few, a small amount. The others stayed and assimilated into Babylon. Okay, we don't want that to happen to us, right? So, <clears throat> where are we? Um, when Matthew was speaking uh, a couple of weeks ago, he mentioned the time. You remember he was a youth pastor? He was going to be a kid's pastor, and then he got sent to the parking lot for five years after, after that time, right? Things changed, and he got sent to the parking lot. And I marveled at that because M Matthew's heart wasn't offended. Because, see... At the root of offense, when we're offended at something, really what it is, it's pride. 
It's pride rising up in us. So anytime you feel offended, always check your heart because it's pride. You're saying, I deserve better. I don't deserve this. And that's what's the, at the root of offense. Matthew could have been offended, and I think if Matthew had been offended, he would have been in that parking lot a lot longer than five years. But because he set his heart to say, I am going to be the best parking lot attendant these, these guys have ever seen, God could use him in amazing ways and mature him. And look at him now, college pastor at a very young age, great college pastor. One other thing before we start <clears throat> getting into the book is the other key um, attitude for Daniel was that he was in zealous pursuit of revelation. He would have these experiences and he would go after it and after it and after it. Please give me more. Please give me more. 90 to 95% of the revelation we get is for us to intercede with. Most of it's not for us to stand on a box and scream it out to people. 90 to 95% is for intercession, to pray for others. Proverbs 25.2 says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of a king or a queen to search the matter out. Throughout scripture, God hides things. He's always hiding things. When Jesus was teaching in par- with the parables, right? Other rabbis, when they taught in the temple, would give the punchline. Jesus didn't give the punchline. He walked away. If you want it, come and ask. And I see that as a parent myself when if one of my kids comes and asks me for something, yes, absolutely, I'll give it to you. The more you come and engage God, the more he is going to give you. You ask for more wisdom, you'll get more wisdom. You ask for more revelation, understanding, all of that, you'll get more if you ask. If you come in and speak with him and dialogue with him, and that's what Daniel did All the time we see at the end, he gets his last revelation. The angel saying, seal it up, Daniel, seal it up. And he's like, wait, wait, what about, what about the angels? Seal it, you're done. You're not getting any more revelation about this. But at 85 years old, he's still banging at the door. Give me more, give me more. We see in... uh, Matthew 24. So Matthew 24 and Luke 21 are Jesus' take on uh, the Great Tribulation. Matthew 24, Luke 21 is when Jesus speaks the most of the the latter days, which is in Scripture, the end times. Um, Daniel, in Matthew 24, Jesus quotes Daniel three times, which is astounding. Uh, And we'll go into We'll go into why he is uh, mentioning that in just a minute. We see that if the Pharisees, so we talk about using all of Scripture, if the Pharisees had used all the Scripture that was at their disposal, they would have known that Jesus, the year, they would have known the year Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. And they also would have known he was going to be on a donkey. So the Pharisees either knew and ignored it because they didn't like what he had to say, or they just weren't paying attention. But that is why when the Romans came, the devastation was so great, because he told them. He told them in advance, and they did not heed his warning. They did not look for the one, and they didn't see the one that they had been waiting for. They wanted him on a white horse. He came on a donkey. Big difference. So... Let's get into Daniel 10 through 12, the end. 
as a refresher for kingdoms that Daniel sees as a young man. Babylon first, the statue. I'm talking about the statue from the beginning. So Babylon is present-day Iraq. Persia is present-day Iran. So these nations are still in play today. Next is Greece and then Rome. And then there's the stone that will come and hit at the feet, which is Rome, and all of the kingdoms will collapse. Um, what I've given you on your sheet is the, the beginning parts of this that have come to pass. So Daniel, part of Daniel is history. History that has come to pass goes all the way up to when the temple is destroyed. The rest of it has yet to come to pass. 80% of the prophecies in the Bible have come to pass. The 20% that have not are future, future um, coming events. So the Bible is amazingly accurate, and that's the point. That's the point of these kingdoms, is that God has shown us what was going to take place way ahead of time so that we can have faith that what he is telling us in Daniel and in Revelation will also come to pass. With amazing clarity, he has told us. If you look at the 150 chapters of the Bible that speak of end-time issues, it is amazing the detail he has given us. It is amazing. He tells us which nations preemptively strike the Antichrist. He tells us some nations that are going to be walking with the Antichrist. One of them is present-day Jordan. And we see that when he comes back, before he enters Jerusalem, he pays Jordan a visit. And when he comes up from Jordan, his robes are covered with blood. There's a price to be paid for things, right? And we see that. We see that in Daniel quite a bit. But as we enter chapter 10, this is something that I think Jay Hoppers love because it's what happens when a person prays. So it's like in chapter 10, the veil is pulled back and Daniel sees what has been taking place as he has prayed his whole life. We see angels and demons. We see that from the first moment Daniel spoke, action was taken. And I think that one of the reasons is, um, where is it here? James 5, um, 5.16, because he was a righteous man. The prayers of a righteous man avail much. And I think that's why Daniel saw so much activity in his life, because he really tried to walk righteously before God. Does anyone here know what uh, 1 Peter 3, 7? Husbands especially? Yeah, uh-oh, is right. <clears throat> 1 Peter 3, 7 tells us that if a husband does not honor his wife and deal with her kindly, his prayers are hindered. So it's almost the opposite of the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. If you are a husband and you are not honoring your wife, if you are not treating her with love and compassion, I would say probably like a heart posture because we all have those days, Scripture says your prayers are actually hindered. Your prayers for your job, your prayers for your children, your prayers for your marriage, your prayers, you could spend all day, all day and all night at the house of prayer. But if you are not honoring your wife, you've got a, a ceiling on your head and the things are blocked. So that, that's just, it's something that's not talked about very much, but I feel like it's so important because it's a huge misstep and it's a huge, huge thing for a husband 
If things are going wrong, that would be the first place I would check. How am I treating my wife? Because before she's your wife, she's his daughter. Right? Before she's your wife, she is his daughter. And he's the ultimate father-in-law. He, he is. He is watching you. And I'd like to say it probably is the same for wives, but it doesn't say so. <laughs> it doesn't say so. But, you know, just so that you know, just, I mean, because you're all young and you're getting ready to get married, but pay attention. Husband, being a husband is incredibly important. Um, you're, you're the priest of your home. And things start with you, and you are accountable before the Lord for what takes place in your house. Husband is the leader. That's just the way it is. But his leadership must come out of love. That is the foundation, right? It says, husbands, love your wife, wives, submit. But husbands, love your wi- loving your wives is the foundation that her submission is built upon, right? She's not supposed to submit to someone who treats her terribly, She'll submit and love when she feels loved. Love is the foundation. And look at that in scripture. When things are said, what is said first? If there are a number of things being said, what is said first? Because that's foundational. Love is the foundation of marriage. But honoring your wife as a husband is huge. Huge. Okay, back to Daniel. Okay, so if we were to summarize Daniel 10, 11, and 12, which is one experience. <clears throat> Daniel 10, 11, and 12 is one experience. Daniel 10 shows us the posture and what happens when a person prays. 11 and 12 is one vision. When you read a book in the Bible, there should be no chapter breaks because they weren't there originally, no verse lines. Right? So you read the book as a book. It's a scroll. It was originally a scroll, written on a scroll. So 10 and 11 are the same experience for Daniel. Okay? So we see Daniel praying. We see the response from heaven. We see an angel. An angel. So an angel comes to Daniel. We're doing okay. An angel comes to Daniel, giving him this great vision. Daniel's response is he cannot function. He falls down. He can't speak. He's asking for help. Angels are, depending on the message given or the war being fought by them, will show you the stature of the angel. Daniel is always encountering angels of tremendous magnitude. Gabriel. And this angel that we see. Many people in commentaries think this angel is the pre-incarnate Christ. But if you look at it, it can't be because the angel says, I had to get help. And if it was the pre-incarnate Christ, he, Christ doesn't need anybody's help. So we know that it's not, that it's just a magnificent angel of great power relaying this vision to Daniel. And Daniel's response, three times he needs to be strengthened. Um, I've seen one angel in my life. And I can tell you, it was by far, by huge amounts far, the most terrifying experience of my life. And it was a good angel. I mean, I knew we were on the same side. But, like, if it wasn't, I wouldn't be standing here because, you know, it was, it was absolutely terrifying. And I wasn't in anywhere near a place of Daniel. You know, this was an interesting matter that was taking place. Uh, actually, our son Noah was here. It was probably two months old. 
and he's like chill baby, like poster child, best baby ever. He, he slept through the night at, at seven days. Yeah, like wow, no kidding, like chill. And one night, he was, he, he was screaming like someone was taking a knife to him, which was never happened, had never happened. And I ran, I ran, and I came around the corner, and there was this huge angel outside his room who just looked at me. And then he looked forward, and he went through the wall and into the room, and in three seconds, the crying stopped. I was so terrified. I just stood there for 45 minutes. Like, (laughs) totally terrified. But um, absolutely terrified. And, and I said, I, I don't ever, like, no kidding, stuttering. I don't, I don't ever want to see that again. I don't ever. Because what it, what it showed me in that one instant was that this is all true. Not only is it all true, I saw my utter insignificance. How powerless. Like, if I had had a nuclear bomb and detonated it, it wouldn't have mattered. He could have whooped me, and I knew it. I could see it. I could feel it. Like, just stood there. I mean, I can still feel terror inside just thinking about it. How powerful that realm is. So when we look at Daniel and see these things, the warfare, like this room right now is full, not just of us. There's all kinds of things going on in this room. Having trouble staying awake? Well, besides my screen. Maybe boring, maybe, but just things going on in the room, right? You know, some people say, don't be seeing a demon under every rock. Well, no, because there's probably two or three, you know, (laughs) because, because like we're, it's a war. It's a war. You know, it's a battle. It's a battle that in the end really comes to life and the good and the bad rise up. And at the very end, it's the most horrible, evil man in the world pitted against the most wonderful, glorious one. And our side wins. Right? Okay. So that's good. So aren't we moving along quickly? Okay. Daniel 10 is the preparation for Daniel receiving his fourth vision. 21 days after prayer and fasting, Daniel receives the vision from the, from the angel. It is the most detailed prophecy of the Antichrist in Scripture. It gives insight into the Antichrist's political decisions, religious attitudes, military activities, and into the Great Tribulation with Israel's deliverance being assured. A lot of times, I'm going to have to tell you a little bit about Antiochus Epiphanes. Does anybody know who Antiochus is? History buffs? Three? Okay. We'll talk about Antiochus for a few minutes. So when you look at this, when you, look, when you go looking at the kingdoms, it seems like it's just a history lesson. But when you're reading commentaries, Antiochus comes up all the time. Because there's basically two sets of, of beliefs when it comes to Daniel. One is that Antiochus did all the bad stuff. And we're done. We don't have to worry about anything. Because it was all Antiochus. Antiochus was a ruler that came out of the Greek Empire. So Alexander the Great died suddenly, which is another very interesting story of why he died. He died naturally, but there's a reason, if you look back in Scripture, there's a reason he died. So Alexander had this huge kingdom, 
When he died, his four top generals fought it out and, and split up his kingdom. This man named Seleucid got the biggest, hugest chunk. From him, grandchildren later, came a man called Antiochus Epiphany. He took the kingdom from his brother when his brother died. So Antiochus's first reign, the first thing he did, he was king of one of the largest empires of the world. So that's why Antiochus can't be the Antichrist, because the Antichrist, it says, is a little horn, which means a little governmental leader. And Antiochus was never a little governmental leader. And there's also many other reasons, but that's what you're going to find when people will say, it's Antiochus. It was Antiochus, but no, in fact, it's not Antiochus, because if it was Antiochus, then God's judgment was poured out on Titus, and that did not take place. And we haven't seen Jesus. I know I haven't walking the streets. So um, it's not Antiochus, but it's something that um, you'll, you'll see if you're reading commentaries that Antiochus comes up quite a bit. It's probably about 50%. The other 50% believe that it is, that there is something still future coming because Antiochus completes some of the things but not fully. When you read chapter 11, you'll see that there's so much that takes place that Antiochus does not do. So that's what this is. This is chapter 11, the beginning of chapter 11. So if you read chapter 11, you'll be able to see what has been written in scripture and what has been written, what has actually come to pass in history. And they are incredibly, incredibly correct. So, so, so. Um, Gabriel also tells us that what Daniel is seeing refers to visions of many days to come. In Daniel 10, um, 10, 1 and 10, 14, the latter days. So over and over again, Gabriel is saying, there's something coming, the latter days. We are not in the latter days yet, but if you're a watcher, if you're a person who watches and knows the scriptures, you'll see that boxes are starting to check off at an alarming rate. So what will take place? 11 and 12 tells us about the activities that have already taken place and then the new activities, the new things um, about the Antichrist. The Antichrist is mentioned in chapters 7, 8, and 11, and 12. They all give different facets of his personality, like the Gospels, right? In the Gospels, we see different facets of Christ, different, different features of him, his personality. And so what we see in chapter 11, we see that... Um, you know, his military, his military activity, not his so much his cruelty. His cruelty, his crushing, the way he will come after nations is in 7 and 8. Here we see more his spiritual personality, his, how he treats religion. What is his religion? His religion is war. That's what his religion is. He honors a God that his fathers do not know. He honors Satan. So um, one thing that I wanted to say quickly is that he will, what will happen if I kind of condense it and give you a Reader's Digest quick version? Something will happen in the world that is terrible. And it will probably center on the Middle East. From, there will be a nation of ten from which this little horn will come up. This little horn will bring peace to the Middle East, which no, you know has to be something fairly amazing. And because of that, he will be seen as marvelous, and he will go on to the center stage of the world. And everybody will look at him. Everyone will marvel at him. 
I think a lot of people think the Antichrist is going to be this ugly, horrible man that everyone will hate immediately. So not true. So not true. He will be just like the statue. Right? What did they think of the statue? It's beautiful. It's silver. It's gold. It's amazingly powerful. But heaven calls called the kingdoms wild beasts. It will be the same thing with the Antichrist. Heaven's perspective is very different than man's. But for the first three and a half years, once that Temple Mount, he will actually get the Temple Mount built, the temple built on the present-day Temple Mount. That is the kind of influence he will have, the temple being where the Temple Mount is now. That's incredible. Who could do that? How many times has poor John Kerry been over there? Peace in the Middle East is, is not easy to find, but this man will be able to do it because he is demonically influenced. His ideas will be so greater than any blue ocean summit you've ever been to, right? The blue ocean, thinking outside the box. This guy will think outside the box. We will marvel at it. And Jesus says, be careful. Don't be deceived because that says that we... There's a chance we will be deceived. There's a chance we will be greatly deceived because he will look beautiful. But then scripture tells us at three and a half years what Daniel calls the abomination of desolation. Does anybody know what it is? Okay, good. Then we'll spend a minute of time on it. Okay, so Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, he says, when you see the abomination of desolation as spoken of in Daniel... Reader, understand. Reader, understand. In eight different times in the Bible, this event is mentioned. In the Old Testament and in the New. John and Paul don't call it the abomination of desolation, but they do you know, talk about it and give detail to it. What is it? So, after we have these ten nations and we have peace in the Middle East and peace in the world... At three and a half years, so, so when Gary was talking last week about the 70 weeks, right, he was talking about the 70 weeks. We have been in up to the 69th week. We are waiting for Daniel's 70th week. When that first sacrifice is done on that temple mount, in that new temple, the clock goes on and we have entered the 70th week of Daniel. What happens is three and a half years in, this man, the little horn, the one that the world will love, but the watchers will know who he is because all the boxes will check. They'll see him come up. They'll see him become one of the ten. They will see him somehow kill three of the ten in that confederation of nations. And so they will know. So everybody's saying, he's bringing peace, he's bringing peace, and you're calling him a devil? Yes, because that's who he will be. But you'll look, you'll look crazy if you say that. You will look crazy if you say that he will be so loved. But at three and a half years, he walks into the Jewish temple, walks into the Holy of Holies, and sits down and says, you will worship me. I am the only God. And if you don't worship me, you die. That's the three and a half year mark. And scripture tells us 1260 days from that moment, Jesus will return. Time, times, and half a time, 42 months. They're all the same thing. 
So Jesus prepares us. Okay, when that happens, he says, if you're in Jerusalem, run, get out, because it's going to be worse than anything the earth has ever seen. So that's why it can't be Antiochus, because if it was Antiochus, World War II was worse right? World War II was the worst thing this this earth has ever seen. And what we will see that will come at this time is going to be far worse than that. We will go from billions of people to millions in three and a half years. And so the mark that we all kind of know about, the mark is something that is instituted at this place, the abomination of desolation. The abomination is that this man says he is God and he is to be worshipped. The abomination is that people follow. Millions will follow him. The desolation comes from two places. The desolation comes from the Antichrist because he will really go after the countries that don't follow him and he will go after the people that do not follow him. The desolation also comes from God who will judge all who follow him and him himself. So in Revelation, we see the, you know, you see the, the scrolls unraveling, right? And... But those are all against the Antichrist. God's judgment isn't poured out on his church. God is actually fueling the church. The church is full of prayer. It's the church's greatest hour. We will see the things that Daniel saw. It will be nothing to see angels having them help us. It will be nothing to see food multiplied. It will be the most amazing time for the church. We will see the greatest harvest ever seen. Millions pouring into the kingdom. We will also see the greatest falling away because they didn't, they didn't read the scriptures. They didn't know, and they are highly offended, highly offended that they could be going through tribulation. So that brings probably some of you to saying, um, what about the rapture? I thought we were beaming up. You know, I thought there was that button that says, up we go. Um, and the problem with that, it would mean that Jesus comes three times. Jesus came once, right? Died on the cross. But if he comes and takes us out early, that means he's coming a second time or a third time because we see at the seventh trumpet in Revelation, he comes and takes his church and they are with him. So if there's a, if there's a rapture that happens before the tribulation, that means scripture's incorrect, that means he's coming three times when he says, I'm coming twice. Scripture says twice. So I think if you're posturing yourself, I know when we were like newly married, Gary was like psyched and thinking, I want to be there. And I'd be like, cut it out. I want to be raptured. You know, <laughs> I hadn't read the scriptures. <laughs> I'd be like, stop praying that. I don't want to be around. But, but I think his prayers were stronger because now I'm excited about it. And I'm like, yes, yes, we want to be ready. And it's not that, you know, the signs are moving really quickly, the signs that God has given us. Like there are so many people that have said, oh, it's coming, oh, this is the end of the world, when really not, because the signs have not all come to pass. And they need to all come to pass together. They can't just be one thing happens and then one thing happens. No, all of these signs that he has given us all come together for the first time. But we're getting really close to what are the most important markers, and that is the Bible being preached in all nations. It's amazing. Uh, interesting story. Um, does it, do you guys know? You know Billy Graham, right? Yep, Billy Graham. Okay. Well, Billy Graham has a daughter. He has a bunch of kids, but he has a daughter named Anne. Have any of you heard Anne? Yes, yes, Anne. 
So they're, they're mainline evangelical Christians, right? The word, preach the word, saving souls, evangelizing. But something happened to Anne a couple of years ago, and she has changed how she speaks dramatically. Anne is like on fire. Anne is like screaming from the top of her lungs, sound the, sound the alarm, sound the alarm, sound the alarm. And what happened was, she's in her 60s, God told her that she will see him return in, his li- in her lifetime. She, she was a um, pre-trib, uh, she was a rapture person. She thought she was heading up early. And I think that's, for me, that is really significant because a lot of people say, oh yeah, signs of time is coming, coming. But their, their posture and what they speak and how they live their life is like chill, you know, like she is like lit. Like she went to a thing and spoke about Joel too. Like, you know, that's not what she would normally speak about. But I think we need to pay attention to things because if it's not us, it's our children. It's our children. Are they prepared? Already we see that the Old Testament has kind of been pushed aside and revelation isn't taught. And what that means is that our children, if we don't teach them, they will not know. We want our kids to be like Daniel, walking through this time prepared, standing upright, knowing their God, knowing there's going to be victory. And like Matthew was saying this morning, we want to be found faithful. That's the point of our lives. The point is not to live to the end. The point is to be found faithful. And that's what Daniel tells us over and over and over. And at the end... In chapter 12, we see more of what will take place. A lot of it is Israel. Israel will actually be the first fully saved nation in the world. Israel, the entire nation, what's left of it? Scripture tells us three quarters of Israel will die during this time. There'll be one quarter left, right? One quarter left. That one quarter will become saved in one instant. And Zechariah tells us that there will be a wailing that goes forth from Israel when they realize that Jesus was their Messiah all along. There, they, the scripture says that it will be like every mother's firstborn child has been killed when they realize what they have done to their Messiah. But they will be the first nation saved, 100% saved, that the world has ever seen. It is to God's glory. Some of you look so bummed right now so concerned. But you shouldn't be afraid. I mean, God's saying, posture yourself. Learn. I mean, it's so amazingly amazing. Because he's told us, like, oh, so specifically what is going to take place. He has told us through Daniel how we stand. How we stand. And that's the most important part. So if it's not us, it's our children. But the point is that God says, Jesus says, learn Daniel. Understand what this man was teaching and was shown. And that's what we've been trying to do this past five weeks. Entice you to read the book for yourself. You know, you may read scripture and say, oh, I think we are going to be taken out early. And you know what? That's great. But have it be yours. Don't say something because I said so. Don't say something because Daryl says so. Go and find it yourself. Right? You want to read the scriptures for yourself. You want to read them with your children. You want to teach your children. That's what the Old Testament says. Teach your children. Mom and dad, you know, it's not up to Bella to teach your kids everything they know. It's up to you guys. It's up to moms and dads to teach their children. 
It's up to this community to teach our children and to teach each other and help each other walk and move in the scriptures. So at the end of the day, Daniel is about hope. Daniel is about the glory of our God, the promise that he's coming back. Daniel's about how he's going to come back. It's about the amazing power that we will see or our children will see, miracles, greater works than Jesus ever did. Greater works than Jesus ever did. We or our children will probably do. And, and God says, if you're a watcher, if you're one, one of the ones that teach, which is why if, you're, if we're all raptured, um, we can't be the teachers. So who's teaching? If all the Christians are gone, who's doing this magnificent teaching? Because they, they don't know. But the teachers, those who teach others, God says you're going to shine like stars forever. You will be blessed, Daniel says, if you make it to the end. But the goal is to be faithful, not to live to the end. The goal is like what Matthew said, faithful each day. Not to be afraid, but to keep your eyes on the kingdom of God and the one that sits on the throne, the one that doesn't even stand up through this. You know, like when you're a parent, if you make me get up, you know, we notice God is seated the entire time. He's not freaked out. He's not afraid. He's not caught by surprise. Everything is going according to his plan. And all the people in heaven continually say, this is correct. This is right. This is just. What he is doing, what is taking place, is completely correct when you get to the other side. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is a great commentary because it gives it both sides. I've been really excited because some of you have actually called saying, do you have any commentaries? Which means you're reading, you're looking, you're searching. So it's Daniel by John F. Walvoord, W-A-L-V-O-O-R-D. And the reason I like it is it because it gives both sides. I like things that give both sides, the, the sides I agree with and the sides I don't agree with so I can grapple with it some more. Okay? Okay. Amen. Get your hand on that commentary.